Pretty dramatic for 1956, eh? <laughs> but yeah, we don't actually know exactly how God's finger wrote on the tablets of stone. Um, but we do know that it happened. And we get a pretty good description of how it happened from the book of Exodus. Uh, in the book of Exodus, the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud. And on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain. And a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. Could you imagine? Just imagine yourself being there. There's this huge mountain ahead of you. It's shaking. There's this cloud on it. There's fire on it. There's this trumpet blast. And you're just like petrified. You know? And, and the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. And when Moses went up to the mountain, with the, and the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on the mountain, Mount Sinai. And for six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called Moses from within the cloud. And to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. And then, the Lord, then Moses entered the cloud, and he went up on the mountain. And then for 40 days... God talks with Moses. And we have seven chapters of Exodus where God lays out all kinds of laws that he gives to Moses. And at the end of the seven days, it says that the, when the Lord finished speaking with Moses uh, on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two, two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. And now you know why I've called this the first tablet download from the cloud. Because that's basically what it was. Uh, a little different than today. It wasn't quite instantaneous. It took 40 days. You know, it was more of a relationship with God than anything. Uh, now Moses was gone for about a month, a week, and a couple of days. Okay, and so can you imagine the Israelites? They're all standing there, quaking in fear. They hear the Ten Commandments bellowing from the mountain and then they all freak out and say don't talk to us anymore Moses you talk to us you you go talk to God and so Moses does that Moses goes up now they've been told don't touch the mountain anyone who touches the mountain is going to die don't go near it they put up fences to to keep people away from the mountain and what does Moses do he walks up the mountain right because that's what God told him to do and so he's up there, and the people see him disappear into the thick darkness, into the cloud. And they probably think, I wonder if he's coming back. And so they wait for a day or two or three or four or five, a week, uh, wait another week, wait another week. What's going on? What, do you, what would you think happened if you saw someone where go up on a mountain that you're told, don't touch it or you're going to die. And there's this consuming fire on it, and there's black smoke, and the earth is trembling. What would you think happened to that person? Well, the Israelites, they said, we don't know what's happened to this Moses fella. <laughs> what in the world happened to him? And so they say to Aaron, Aaron, why don't you make us a, ca a, a calf, a, a, a God that we can see and worship. And, and you know, we, we know that this God has brought us up out of Egypt, so let's make one. And so they do it. While Moses is up there talking with God, the Israelites are disobeying the second commandment. 
that they heard pronounced just you know a month earlier and they're they're making a golden calf <laughs> it boggles our mind really and you know it goes to show you that people just don't know how to keep commands you say, don't do that, and what do people do? Well, they want to do it. I heard of this, this hotel that, that uh, was trying to stop people from fishing off the balconies. And so they had these little signs up, no fishing from balconies. Well, people constantly were fishing from the balcony. And someone finally decided, you know what? How are we going to fix this? We're going to take the signs away. Once they took the signs away, the idea never occurred to anybody, right? And that's the thing about the law, you know? When it comes, it just seems like it's something that we just start wanting to do for some reason. I don't know. It, it kind of boggles the mind. And when you think of all the incredible miracles that the Israelites had just witnessed, and then you hear them, they're, they're trembling with fear before the mountain, and they hear the words of God, and then they just go up. Ah, don't know what happened to Moses. Let's do our own thing. What? It's hard to imagine. But you know what? That's the sinful human heart. And if you think you're any different, I got news for you. Except for the grace of God, there go we. You know, except for God's grace in our life, we would be doing the exact same thing. If you don't believe me, just look at your own life for a while. You know, the sins that you've done. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're all in the same boat. Um, so Moses, God says to Moses, Moses, you better go down there because those people you brought up out of Egypt, they're, they've blown it. And Moses, and God says to him, you know, they've, they've made a golden image. And Moses is like, what? And God says, just stand back, Moses. I'm going to wipe them out. Just stay out of the way. And Moses goes, no, Lord, no. And if you wipe them out, all the people that are around us and all the different nations, they're going to think that you're a weak God and that you destroyed your people because you couldn't bring them to the promised land. And Moses cries out to God for the people. Of course, Moses hasn't quite seen what they're doing yet. (laughs) And so Moses is pleading on their behalf, and God finally relents and lets them go. And and then so they start going down, and Aaron is with Moses, or not Aaron, uh, Joshua is with Moses. Aaron's down there making a golden calf, <laughs> and Joshua says, "Whoa, sounds like a, sounds like there's a battle going on down there. We better head down there." And Moses says, no, no, it doesn't sound like a battle. That sounds like a festival. That sounds like celebrating. And and so they get down, and sure enough, there's this huge golden calf that they've built, set up, and all the Israelites are bowing down to it and dancing around and, and celebrating and reveling. And Moses freaks out. And, and the Bible says, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hands. <coughs> they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was of God engraved on the tablets and when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain (coughs) can you imagine that scene God's just worked on those tablets for 40 days and Moses just smashed them (laughs) I think God could relate to Moses anger however (coughs) he was very upset and uh, and and so those the two tablets of stone that God had carved with His own finger are smashed to smithereens. And so God comes along and actually says to Moses, "Hey Moses, you got to do this again, you know." 
And so this time you're going to cut the stone out of the, out of the rock. So God makes it a little more work for Moses this time around. And so maybe he'll have a little more honor to the, the, the commandments on the tablets of stone. And Moses t- goes up and he spends another 40 days and 40 nights without food and drink with God again. And there's another bunch of chapters in Exodus dedicated to what Moses hears from God again. And so, and, and so this time, though, it's, and we're not quite sure if God wrote on the tablets or if Moses chiseled out the actual commandments on the tablet. Um, but it seems like uh, Moses did. Anyways, um, he wrote the t- the, on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments in chapter... There you go. Um, and so then Moses took the, the two... Uh, tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. And what did he do with them? Does anyone know what happened to them? Somebody should know this. Into the temple. The Ark of what? The Ark of the Covenant. Yes, they built a special box just for these tablets. Okay, sometimes we think, you know, the special box is, you know, housing of God or something. No, 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 no. It's housing the ark or the, the, the covenant, the tablets, the stone covenant law between God and his people. If they would obey these laws, God would bless them. If they didn't obey these laws, God would curse them. And so they put these, these, these covenant laws in the most sacred place in a box made of acacia wood and gold and put it in the most sacred place where the presence of the almighty was because it was all part of the covenant between god and his people so now this so you have just just sort of get this train of events you know so you got god speaking the words to the people the people freaking out and saying no moses you speak to god don't let him speak to us or we're going to die and then moses going up into the cloud getting the tablets coming back finding them adulterate adult adult anyways committing adultery no not <laughs> idolatry thank you somebody <laughs> save me lord uh, idolatry, thank you, and uh, and then and then uh, and then coming, smashing the tablets, then doing repeating the whole process all over again, putting in this gold box, putting it in the most holy of holies, um, and then Moses's face is shining after he's been with God for days. Uh, I mean, these tablets are a big deal. This is not just some little thing that happened. This is the, the pivotal moment of God writing a covenant in stone with his people. The idea that it's written in stone is that it can't be changed or altered or, or, or moved. I mean, this is a big deal. And so the, the Ten Commandments are kind of given in the most awesome way possible. I mean, it's really incredible. But an interesting thing has happened since the coming of Christ. There seems to be some confusion over how Christians today, after the coming of Christ, should view this law, this covenant. Christians have the idea that since the Ten Commandments are part of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, 
Uh, they don't apply to believers who have the new covenant. And so many people have no use for the Ten Commandments, and they just kind of go like, ah, oh, yeah, those are Old Testament things. We don't have to live by them. We are now people of the new covenant, not the old covenant. Um, and there seems to be a host of scriptures to back that up, primarily written by the Apostle Paul. And we can look at them. Uh, we mean, Paul says, we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Um, and then uh, in chapter 6, verse 14 of Romans, for sins shall no longer be your master. Why? Because you are not under the law, but under grace. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen to that. But it seems like, well, okay, we're not under the law. Like, so why are you going to preach a whole ser- sermon series on this? You know, like, what? Uh, and, and it goes on. For all who rely on the words of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Certainly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Paul is spelling out, like, hey, if you rely on the law, (laughs) you're going to be cursed. And he says, so the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. And then he, he kind of pushes it even further. And he says this, you who are trying to be justified by the law have, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. He's basically saying, hey, if you're, if you're trying to obey the law, <laughs> then you, know, you can kiss your salvation goodbye. That's not how you get saved. It's very, very clear. And so I'm thinking, wow, I don't want to be alienated from Christ. I certainly don't want to be under the curse that comes from the law. So maybe I'll just stay as far away from the Ten Commandments as possible. And all those other commandments in the Old Testament, I'll just stay away from them. Well, if, if you, and, and in fact, Paul says, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So there you have it. Law is not to be dependent on it. We're not under it. Why in the world would we want to study the Ten Commandments as a sermon series? Like, huh? Well, primarily, because I've only shared with you one side of the equation so far. Okay? There's another whole side of the equations, and some Christians have taken the other side of the equation too far. But let me share with you the other side of the equation. Um, and, And that is that Jesus himself insisted that he did not come to do away with the law and the prophets. That wasn't his purpose at all. Jesus insisted that he said, do you think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets? No, I have not come to abolish them. Jesus was very plain. Uh, and he said, truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the least, smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law. Now, in the, if you get your, your King James Bible, it says not, not one iota or tittle. And you're like, what's an iota or a tittle? Well, you get a bit of an idea of what an iota is when we, we have a, 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 an expression in English. It doesn't make an iota a difference, right? Have you heard that expression? Now, some of you older folk might have heard of it. I've heard of it anyways. But an iota is, see that little thing down the bottom corner of the screen? That's an iota. It's a Greek letter. It's very small. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
And a tittle, a tittle is a little tiny mark on some letters. Next slide. It's kind of like the, the change of the, making an O into a Q. It's the tiniest little thing. And that makes a difference. And, and Jesus is saying, the iotas and the little tittles, they're not going to be removed from the law. It's all going to be there. Absolutely every part of the law still stands. He's very, very clear about it. And then he pushes the issue. He pushes it, okay? This sounds almost the opposite to Paul. He says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices, practices what? Practices the law and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Is, is that what we really believe? As Christians? And, and then he pushes it even further. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees you will, and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And at that, I'm sure the disciples went like, What? Those Pharisees, they are religious. I mean, they don't. They they have the law, and then they have a whole bunch of other laws to make sure that they obey that law. Just you know, like to make sure they have how much weight you can carry on the Sabbath. You know, just a, you know, a certain amount of olive oil, a certain amount of this. They had everything figured out down to a T. And Jesus is saying, unless you're better than those, and I'd be like, uh, well, count me out. Just not making it. That's not happening. Those guys are like perfect so so what's the deal here do we listen to jesus or do we listen to paul like who's right like there's a bit of a problem here isn't it and now some have tried to resolve this conflict between what Jesus says here in, in Matthew chapter 5 and what Paul says in the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. They've, they've tried to, to solve this by saying, well, Jesus was talking about the moral law, the Ten Commandments and, and all the moral laws of the Old Testament, while the Apostle Paul was talking about the ceremonial laws. And those are the ones that were... You know, that he has an anathema. We don't follow them, you know, the circumcision and all that stuff. We don't do that. There's a little problem with that scenario, however, solving it that way. And that is, it's not in the Bible anywhere. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. And I've looked because I used to ascribe to that view. And then I started looking for it in the Bible, the view that says Paul was talking about the the ceremonial law and Jesus is talking about the moral law and, and I looked and I looked and I looked and uh, I couldn't find it. <laughs> it doesn't say that anywhere in the New Testament. And I'm like, why doesn't it say that if that's the way it is? It, I mean, otherwise it's kind of hidden. It's a big mystery. Yeah, it is a big mystery. And so how do we make sense of this? And so I want to say that it's not a choice between Paul and Jesus, okay? You need to listen to both. If you don't listen to both, you won't get it. You won't follow what he's trying to say. Um, and so the answer is actually in the passage that I read, but, you know, being sly, I didn't read the entire passage. <laughs> Bad pastor. Mark 
whack, whack. <laughs> Here it is. Do you not, Jesus said this, do not think that I've, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but what? To fulfill them. And this is a very key ingredient to understand this whole concept of what Paul and Jesus are talking about. For I tell you the truth, unless he- until heaven and earth will disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Everything was accomplished when Jesus did it all and died on the cross. <clears throat> when we start combining what Jesus said and what Paul said, we start to get the clear picture. Because when you start realizing everything they said, the picture starts to form in our minds and we start to understand why both of these men are absolutely right. Okay? Jesus says in this passage that he came to fulfill the law. Like he covered, he did all the work, he did everything. And therefore, Paul says, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. In other words, God accepted Christ as the perfect sacrifice, as the one who obeyed all of the law, all the law of Moses, everything. All of the ceremonial law, all of the moral law, every law you can think of, God fulfilled them all, including the ceremonial laws, because he became the sacrifice. He became everything that the Old Testament talks about, about the forgiveness of sins. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law, what, might be fully met in us. You see, no matter how much, remember the Israelites, they just got the law and then they broke it. And no matter how much we try to obey the laws, we're never going to make it fully. But in Christ, we have fully made the law. We have fully obeyed everything in the entire Bible in Christ. That's the message of salvation. It's not about living a perfect life, trying to earn our way to salvation, trying to get do enough good works so that we can possibly make it to heaven. No, 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 no. Jesus did all the good works for us, and all we have to do is accept him, and then all of the commandments are... So in other words, the law has not been abolished. The law still stands absolutely, absolutely true, absolutely over all creation. But Christ has fulfilled it. He has done everything perfectly. But notice this last part. Uh, Next slide. I think I have this. No, no, I don't have it. Sorry. I thought this was on the slide. Um, But it says that the requirements of law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's a little caveat that Paul says. He says, this applies only to people who live by the Spirit. This doesn't apply to other people. Only the ones who live by the Spirit have all the righteous requirements of the law been fully met. You see, when 
when Nicodemus came to Jesus and asked him about, you know, how do I get eternal life? Jesus said, you need to be born again. In other words, you need to have the Spirit birthed in you. Without the Spirit being birthed in you, you can't get salvation. You can't be made whole. You don't have all the righteous requirements of the law uh, fully met in you unless you're born of the Spirit and you walk in the Spirit. That's when all of these laws are fully met in us. Um, Paul goes on, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old tradition of the code. I guess I never got these onto the PowerPoint. But the idea is that we are released from the bonds of the law because we're in the Spirit. So the new covenant is a spiritual reality in our beings, a new birth of God's Spirit inside us that creates a new reality for us, one that has already met all of the requirements of the law. But now the law gets written on our hearts. Because why? Because we have the nature of God in us. And the Ten Commandments came from the heart of God for the best practices for His people. So guess what? We want to behave like those things without actually even having to read them. Because we have the the nature of God placed in us. That's what it means to be living by the Spirit. You know, it's interesting. When Jesus says this whole thing about, you know, what, not one bit of the law is going to disappear, he says it right, it's the, at, right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And then he right away, he starts talking about laws. And the first one, if you look in your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 5, you see that the first one he, he addresses is one of the Ten Commandments. He said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder. And he says, but I say unto you, don't even be angry with your brother. And if you say raka to your brother, or you fool, or you idiot, probably more like we we might happen to say, you'll be in danger of hellfire. Jesus is pretty blunt. He says, yeah, you heard it said, don't murder. (laughs) He ups the ante. He makes it way harder. He says, don't be angry or you're going to be going to hell. Or in danger of going to hell, and I'm like, Jesus, I, you know, I thought, you know, like it would be easier to be a Christian now that, you know, <laughs> I'm a follower of you. Won't it be easier? And now you're saying, no, you can't even be angry. I'm like, man, I, I got angry on the freeway just the other day. Uh, I, I got angry. Wow. And then the the second thing Jesus points out is another. One of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus says, You've heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, He who looks at a woman with lust in his eye has committed adultery with her in his heart. I can imagine the disciples just going like, Whoa, Jesus. You are making it really tough to be a follower. (laughs) Like, come on. (laughs) Like, really? And, this is, and Jesus goes on and goes through a whole bunch of the laws. And he ups the ante on all of them. And he just makes it like virtually impossible. 
And he says, you know, that's the way we ought to live. And it's because of what Paul says. You see how the, Paul and Jesus now are working in conjunction with one another? Okay? The only way you could possibly do any of this stuff is if you're filled with the Spirit of Christ. And he creates in you a new person, a new being, and that new being is walking in the Spirit, and he wants to be like God. He doesn't want to respond in anger. He doesn't want to respond in, in, uh, with lustful thoughts. There's a whole different concept that he's part of. And that's how we need to understand this new concept of the new covenant. The covenant says, the new covenant basically says, all of your sins are washed away because Jesus paid for them all and the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in you. And you now have the Holy Spirit to start acting the way Christ did. In other words, you're, starting to, you're going to start acting just the way Jesus did. Did Jesus have lust? Did Jesus commit adultery? Did Jesus murder? Did Jesus have anger? He had righteous indignation at least once. But he didn't have anger about someone hurting him or harming him. Or What did he do when he was on the cross? They nailed him to the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. What did he do when he was in front of Pontius Pilate? He stood there quietly while he was accused by all kinds of people of all things, kinds of things he didn't do. And he puts that spirit, that spirit of Christ, he puts that in us. And that's why Paul can so confidently say, it's not the requirements of the law that we're trying to meet. We live by the spirit. Augustine said that, you know, just love God with all your heart and then do what you want. And what he didn't mean was, well, then you can go on sinning whatever. It doesn't matter. No, he means that then your wants will be God's wants. And you will do what God wants you to do. And that will be the whole tenor of your, your life. <clears throat> and so the commands are not commands that we need to do so much as they are the heart of God. For how we're to do them. <clears throat> My wife gave me a, a little devotional she was reading last week. And it says that there's a true story. Um, in England, there was this man who had been charged with thievery and he, and he was in jail for a time. Uh, and then uh, while he was in jail, a Christian friend came to visit him regularly kept visiting him sharing the gospel with him telling him of the love of god and how much god cared about him and loved him and finally this thief turned his life over to god and realized that jesus christ died and paid for all of his sins and that he would go to heaven if he accepted christ and so he did and he was wonderfully saved and got really excited about being a believer and uh and uh, and then when he, when he finally, his sentence was over, he decided that, hey, you know, one of the first things he wanted to do when he got out of jail is he wanted to go to church. He wanted to, to worship God. And so he went to this church and he, he went in the doors and the first thing he saw on, on the front walls of the church were the Ten Commandments, just in big, bold print up there on the front of the church. Uh, five on one side and five on the other side. I put them all in one because otherwise, you know, I don't know how to do that. But anyways, um, and he saw them there and his instant thought was, huh, 
this church must be a legalistic church because I've been set free from all that. I have been, Christ has made me a new person. And uh, man, I don't really need to be reminded that I was a thief, you know, thou shalt not steal. And yeah, thanks for that reminder. That really made my day. And then the Holy Spirit started to speak to him. And a strange thing happened as he read the commandments. And instead of reading them as a, as a command, he started reading them as a promise, as a, a certain event that will certainly take place in the future. It's kind of like, you remember in, in, um, when Gandalf, the Borlog, the fiery demon is coming, right? And he's coming across the bridge and Gandalf is standing on the bridge and he says, thou shalt not pass, you know? And then the bridge collapses and they both fall down into the abyss. Um, but when he says, thou will not pass, thou shall not pass, is that a command or a statement of fact? Kind of both, but mostly it was a statement of fact. And this, this used to be thief. When he was reading in the church, he suddenly realized that these are not commands for us. These are statements of fact. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves images. You shall not murder. You won't commit adultery. You won't steal. Praise God. You see it? You see how he suddenly started reading it? You shall not lie. You shall not covet. It's amazing. It's right there in black and white. And he's just like, yes, that totally makes sense. This is, this is how God is now making me. He's making me someone who just automatically can't do these things. It won't happen. It's a statement of fact. It's not a command. It's an awesome re- revelation. And I believe that is how the church today needs to understand the commandment, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. They're still very powerful statements on how to live. But they're statements of what God is doing in us and through us. And so let's not be afraid of them and say, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to study the laws because I might be relying on them for salvation. No, no, no. No, we study the laws because we know this is God's great will for our lives. This is what God, this is what God's spirit is like. When the God's spirit comes into us, he says, the, you shall be like this. You're going to be like this. You won't lie. You won't steal. It's, it's going to be who you are. You know, Paul says, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Isn't that awesome? So as we study the original download from the cloud, May it never be considered a burden that we have to obey, that we live under it. No, we don't live under it any longer. No, it's a promise. It's a statement of reality that is and will be. Amen? Amen. You're not that excited. (laughs) It's a promise of what shall be. Amen? Amen. Yeah. It's... It's the, it's the place where God takes us to that these things aren't part of who we are. They're just not us. 
Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them, you may what? Participate in the divine nature. Participate in who God is. Having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. I love that verse. I, I find it so powerful. And, and the following verse says, Therefore make every effort to add to your faith uh, godliness. And it has a whole list of things that we need to make effort for. And so there's this interesting combination of God's Spirit working, providing, doing the work. And then us coming along and living up to that work. Living up to what He calls us to be and do. And it's not a condemnation thing. It's a promise that God's Spirit creates this new being in us that is capable of serving God powerfully. 